Spencer Clavin is the associate editor of the Claremont Review of Books and features editor of The American Mind. He is also the author of the new book, How to Save the West, which has been out for some time now and is available wherever you buy your books and such. Spencer, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, John. It's good to see you, buddy. I'm doing very well. It's good to be digitally in touch. Yes, it is. Always. Yeah. We want to start. um, So as we're recording this, uh, over the weekend, we had we had some things go on. Um, Events occurred. Foremost, there was this really really awesome time uh, in Los Angeles. The uh, the LA Dodgers actually had their Pride Night celebration, and it went about as well as you could expect it to go. Um, respond we're gonna throw we're gonna throw a clip in there oh i see okay i thought that was my cue to respond um well uh oh no oh we're so unprofessional anyway do you want to take it um, from the top again yeah (laughs) sorry about that all good so over the weekend we had the sisters of perpetual indulgence pride night celebration thing at la dodgers which went about as well as as you could expect it to go. The um, the drag queens were there, and you saw a video on Twitter of the drag queens being honored to a virtually empty stadium, and which is a pretty positive. Um, you know, the counter protests drowned out the st- uh, the stadium attendance, which is a pretty great sign for you know the conservative counter revolution. So that's right. They were early. They did it like an hour or so yeah. earlier than the game, right? Yeah. I don't know if they had planned to do that or if they were responding to the fact that they knew this protest was. So judging on, by but... by all the coping and seething on Twitter, <laughs> it yeah. seemed like it was on purpose. Okay. And I said at the time, there are either two possibilities: either they're doing this on purpose to avoid being horrendously embarrassed, or they just nobody wanted to be involved with that in the first place. And either way, you didn't win. Mm-hmm. That's definitely that is definitely true. It's definitely a, a big L for the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, among others, for the Dodgers, who have been, I have to say, especially craven during this whole procedure. It's a low, low bar for corporate America when it comes to like, you know, social justice posturing and quote unquote issues. But this one was really quite the saga because they announced this award and then some Catholic groups kind of raised awareness of it and they kind of rolled it back. And then the queerdos and the alphabet people like staged it, freak out. That's I I stole that one from someone. I stole it from a guy called Brokeback Patriot, who's a like an (laughs) online, you know, conservative gay. A friend of mine. And um, yeah, they kind of did their usual thing. We're being genocided because we can't dress up as nuns and twerk in front of your children. And then the Dodgers were like, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We're going to ungenocide you now by giving you a community award after all. And then they did this like kind of lame, quiet, you know, if I may use the term flaccid little celebration while this massive counterprotest is going on. I had to say that video looks exactly like kind of what I want these sorts of ceremonies to look like from now on. I'm not really a big like bring down the hammer of the law guy. I don't want it to be illegal to be or to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence particularly. But I want a world in which if you do that, you will look incredibly lame and tawdry and depressing and be booed by your own fans and have to seriously rethink it. That's kind of my ideal world. I don't know if that's the world we're headed for, but but it is a, a heartening sign for sure. I think that's fair. And, um, you know, even after they disinvited the uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, um, I think directly after they reinvited them, they the Dodgers announced it had like a Christian family night, which is right. equal. I mean, I think that's a little more insulting. Because, mm. you know, they're saying, we're still going to offend you horribly. We're going to invite people who blaspheme your faith. But here's a here's a little thing for you as well. Just ignore what we're doing here. Go have cotton candy and forget about it. It's- well, it, yeah, it's kind of a classic, like, 
maliberalism response, like it's a maximally clueless kind of approach. It's like, right. oh yeah, your centuries, millennia old religious tradition, which informs kind of the very heart and operating system of this nation can definitely be a market option, you know, <laughs> with equal weight alongside this, you know, 40 year old man child that wants to strip to his hairy belly and like jiggle it on the cross. Like those are, those are two perfectly, let, let the market decide, you know, like that's kind of what that, right. that that's, that's why uh, to me, that was particularly kind of insulting and speaks to the, op like it kind of tells us in, in, in negative, it kind of tells us what, what we're about because I'm, I'm not interested here in retreating into neutrality. Like, I don't sure. think that it's not an option. Well, it's uh, that's the other thing. It's fake, but it's also like there's every, the the Dodgers and any kind of American institution should be able to comfortably say we honor and prefer like the Catholic faith over the twerking drag nuns. I don't think that should right. be so hard. Well, especially in uh, especially in California, where there's so many you know Hispanic people, there's just so many Catholics in general. You are even from just a market perspective, you're just inherently offending so many people in your geographical area. It's just you're taking up a frankly religious cause just to offend so many people for the sake of what for the sake of potentially getting some more corporate sponsors but offending everyone who supports your business in the process that's the calculation just seems very the math doesn't check out oh you don't think the latinx brethren and sisterin are clamoring for the bright dawn of our drag-based future i'm shocked to hear you say that a little skeptical of that. I mean, yeah. who knows? Who knows? It might be a lot more progressive than I think they are, but I'm just going to pump the brakes a little bit. Right, right. But that was what was tragic about the Blue Jays, because, you know, for as much as we rag on on L.A. and how California is just liberal wonderland, the land of fruits and nuts, as my grandmother calls it all the time, the, the Blue Jays had it infinitely worse because they did something similar. I don't remember the exact specifics, but I do remember there was that the player mm -hmm. um, who they basically beat into submission about the like the LGBT or the the race gay race some sort of gay race communism they they beat this guy into submission into making a public statement in front of the press yes I remember this where they said they're going to have to do walk uh, it back yeah they said you have to do like um, sensitivity trainings the typical struggle session uh, jargon but you know that is that is Canada and you know, it's, say, it's it's infinitely worse because for everything we complain about California Canada's that and like ten times worse. Yeah, and it's definitely the future that a certain segment of the like Marxist vanguard in America wants, right? Like that is an ideal for them that you should like not be allowed. I mean, we really are in in a lot of ways. It's interesting how how much both sides are kind of talking about the power to sort of not censor but censure, like the the power to shame right. people and where shame should sit. You know, I mean that these are concepts that are kind of Pre-American, not that America rightly understood. I think wishes to do away with them, but simply that they are older than out this regime, and you you kind of can't not have them. You can't not put shame and honor somewhere. And there's been this sort of legend mythos that we just have a this again this neutrality mythos that like it's kind of all you do you you know. And now we're locked into this fight over. Are you going to be hounded and shamed for refusing to wear the jersey, the pride jersey, the like rainbow, whatever? Or are you going to be mocked and disavowed if you like celebrate the sisters of perpetual indulgence? Um, speaks to a problem that I, I think is kind of deeper than outlawing things. Like I think it's about, I don't know. I mean, you, you guys tell me what you think about this because I was chatting to some of my like based friends the other day and they were saying you know oh the sisters of perpetual indulgence like they are such an affront to the catholic faith they are such a mockery and i was thinking about that and i think that's definitely true like there's certainly a hostility toward the church in general and 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 like a specific kind of uh just insult to religious women religious as I, as i think they're called um, but it's also the case that like back in the war on terror days, we were all sort of proud of ourselves for allowing 
all these different forms of mockery. Like, isn't it great that we have free speech and like you can mock any of our religions, whereas the Muslims get all up in arms if you make a caricature of Muhammad or they like blow up Charlie Hebdo or they do whatever. And I sort of think, you know, that 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 must still be true. Like we do still kind of I don't know, I, I'm perfectly happy for there to be all sorts of zany, ridiculous antics. I don't particularly want to outlaw people making fun of Catholicism, uh, much fun as it might sound. But I, I do kind of want to um, find some way of not drawing an equivalence between that mockery and the thing itself. Like it seems like one thing we've done is we've made it impossible to distinguish between a, a parody, a perverted parody of a thing and the thing in itself. For sure. Uh, John, I'll kick it over to you because I feel like you probably have a strong uh, – I have a bit of a different opinion on the satire of it all. So I'll kick it over to John first. But what are your thoughts, bud? I haven't really thought about this. This is this is the first time you're introducing this perspective to me, Spencer. And um, just off the top of my head, I mean, there there is a difference. I think it – just to start off with, there's there's a fundamental difference between, you know, obliquely insulting a religion, which a lot of that was a lot of like the South Park and the Family Guy and all you know those sort of cultural parodies of of Islam during the during the Guat days were um, were were a lot of them were pretty cynical. They were they were in bad faith. They were very much hmm. appealing to a a very um. I don't want to say jingoistic, but very nationalistic sensibility against the foreign enemy. Um, and just associating, you know, the the stereotypes that came out of that about Muslims. I, I think that it's it's kind of the same thing going on here in that it is really not good to there, there are ways you can make fun of things without being bad faith it's i always say that you can't properly criticize something unless you're in love with it mm -hmm. and that's yeah. that's much the same thing you can't you can't properly satirize or criticize the catholic church unless you are or at least you have have basic human charity for what the church represents. Otherwise, you just get all Catholics are pedophiles, you know, mm. on the one hand, or you get the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Sam, what's your take? I know you mentioned you had a different. Yeah. Um, so I think satire is one of the most important aspects of the, uh, you know, Anglo literary tradition. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you can't, you doesn't, the Anglo uh, literary tradition doesn't really, it loses. A huge part of its appeal if you divorce it from satire mm. um however i don't think satire is what's going on right now um mm. and sure there's the satirical defense that some of these people raise and i totally see your point with the zany um attire could be interpreted by some as satirical mm. but i simply don't think that's what's ha what is happening and when these people say they're being satirical or they're trying to like make a cultural point their defense is ultimately go back on what well, we're being genocided violence is being done against us mm -hmm. and those aren't substantive arguments they ultimately come back to a desire to do away with the foundational ethos of the west they want to deconstruct the west's um christian foundation and supplant it with one of the ever-expanding um civil rights regime of identitarian grievance that's what they want they want the new the new order to replace the old order. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily agree with outlawing every single form of speech I disagree with. Um, <laughs> just I don't, about like 90% of the speech I disagree right. with, I think should be outlawed, <laughs> just conservative estimate. Um, I don't necessarily think that, you know, men, like, I don't think this, I don't think the sisters of perpetual indulgence, like them doing their shtick should be, outlawed um but like you said earlier shame is something that is uh, is of utter importance in society and going back to the properly properly oriented and properly ordered component of um your earlier comments we are a deeply disordered society yeah the west has been for entirely too long and we have lost 
the will to actually say, hey, this is wrong. Hmm. The order ways were correct. We need to get back to that and properly enshrine them as correct and actively disavow these things that are not satirizing the proper order, but disavowing it and trying to supplant it. Um, and I think the counter protests, I don't think it's necessarily going to make a significant impact in the short run, but I think it did change a lot of minds. And I think it did give a lot of people courage and hope that maybe 10 or 15 years down the road, when this, you know, when the shenanigans do unfortunately continue, I think more people are going to have the courage to push back because they know that they're not the only ones who are fed up with it. Those are both very interesting comments. I quite agree that in the main, this pride has been a bit of a white pill. This pride month has been more of a white pill than a black pill. It's it's certainly furnished both. And we're kind of in this season more generally, by which I mean the period of several years in which every day seems to furnish ample reason to be discouraged, but kind of equally ample reason to feel as if perhaps opportunity is is building for a robust response. And like that's kind of encapsulated in this month to a certain extent. You have Target just, you know, really uh, extravagantly, offensively uh, and, and assertively, you know, coming out in favor of sort of childhood genital mutilation i didn't know other way to put it partnering with the but satanist you, right right we're the satanist good point i mean it's important not to forget the kind of like openly self of you know avowedly satanist character of a lot of this um and then on the other hand you also have kind of real conservative movement uh against that you have genuine backlash with consequences and all of it yeah i mean i, I agree with you sam i don't really think that you should outlaw the sisters of perpetual indulgence doing their shtick. Um, I see. I take the point that both of you made to an extent that it, it, I mean, satire may be the wrong kind of lens or mode for thinking about this at all. I, I, I raised that issue because that was part of the initial critique of it that this is like a parody of or an insult to right, right. the mass, right? Um, and it, it just put me in mind of or caused me to think about. A time when you know sure. being parody parodyable or being open to satire mm -hmm. and, and and mockery was kind of touted as one of the West's great strengths, right. and all of the um, pieties from that era are up for a lot of kind of reinterpretation. But I think it's it bears kind of thinking about. You know, to me, it really does just keep coming back to everything that we're saying. Just keeps coming back to like. What we're really in a fight over is what we're going to honor as a yeah. society and also as a state. I mean, because there's also a whole range of stuff like what are you going to use state funds to honor to, you know, what sort of statues are you going to erect outside your state house? What flags are you going to fly? Obviously, is, the, is a really big one right now. Um, and yeah, I do think the conservatives are like exerting a lot of energetic demands right. on that front, which are quite heartening. And that kind of a. Uh is a good transition to a point I wanted to pose to you, gentlemen. Um, you know, Juneteenth, uh, when in 2021, when the bill was signed to make Juneteenth a federal holiday, it was called the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act. You know, to me, that's pretty explicit that, going back to what I said earlier, it's it's pretty explicit that, that is meant to do away with the old order. You know, 4th of July is just called Independence Day. It's not called National Independence Day. Whereas Juneteenth, where it was making it a national holiday, it was predicated upon you know the summer of love, great racial animus, great hostility. The political culture is you know still fraying, still reeling from that. It's pretty apparent to me that, or at least I believe it's apparent that the whole intention is to do away with the old order and just usher in the the, the refounding of America upon the new civic pantheon of just secular leftism upon grievance upon eschewing everything that was the founding essentially get rid of reverence for natural law get rid of republicanism get rid of federalism just usher in these identitarian coalitions give every group their holiday their month use um public resources to accomplish that erect the statues to who will vote for whoever wants the statue um and so on and so forth what are y'all's yeah. thoughts um here again 
I feel that it is possible to take the quantum pill. This is like my my personal pill. Everybody's That's got a pills. new pill. I'm not familiar. Okay, well, this is my this is the Spencer Clavin branded pill that I've been shilling for a while. Um, so you know, everybody's got a pill now. You mm-hmm. take the red pill, you take the blue pill, you take the black pill, you take the white pill, or whatever. Yeah. The quantum pill is the kind of pill that we've just been talking about, where it's different depending on how you look at it. So, like mm-hmm. you, you know, quantum phenomena have kind of a range of possible measurements until you measure them, right? And that's the point of the quantum pill is it's like it's got kind of there's like a range of possible interpretations, each of which like no one of which can can rightly be said to quite be be exclusively valid. So like you can certainly look at Juneteenth and like one one way that I've been looking at Juneteenth today is here I am in Tennessee last year. I remember kind of freaking out about, well, now this is going to be enshrined in our secular liturgical calendar and everybody's going to have to go through all this rigmarole. And there's been like a lot less of that than I had anticipated. And that's sort of itself heartening, makes it feel like this was kind of maybe more of a flash in the pan than a, you know, real sticking, you know, one of the ones that would really stick. But I think that in principle, Sam, I, I, I essentially agree with you. I, I um, This is one of the left's most effective tactics to back people like us into a corner because Juneteenth in principle, I'm going to put some asterisks on this, but in principle, I don't. I don't object to celebrating the end of slavery in some way or another. That's not in itself. That's not something I I dis uh, dislike or, or would disprove of. Um, in in practice, it was obvious at the time that people's good faith sort of acquiescence to that and their general non racism. I mean, it was always the fact that people aren't racist that they kind of use as as part of this tactic, right? People generally aren't racist. People generally happy that slavery is over. And so that was used to say, well, if you think that, then why shouldn't we have this holiday? The answer to which was everything you just said, Sam, because like that holiday is being worn as a skin suit. Like it's been hollowed out of its content. And as Cori Bush herself said, right, it's Juneteenth and reparations. It's Juneteenth and, you know, the new amendment to the Constitution. I can't remember all the things she listed, but it, it clearly came kind of packaged with all of these radical Marxist ideas. And and often radical Marxism can, in the moment, sort of borrow the paraphernalia of like useful liberalism, like moderateness, essentially. Um, And that puts us in this really difficult position because what we want to say is we reject the underlying logic of this action. Um, the only options in front of us are, do you accept the outward form of this political event or not, right? So you either kind of do a Ted Cruz where you're like, yes, Juneteenth is great. We love Juneteenth. Or you do a, like, I can't think of a figure that I would side with, but you you do a, like, Juneteenth is awful and it sucks. Um, and, and I guess my, like, impulse is always to say um, the logic of this revol- of this Marxist revolution is what I have my eyes fixed on directly and coming up with s- symbols old and new, forms of celebration old and new that countermand it in a positive direction that say, no, what we believe in is this. We believe all men are created equal. We believe in that. And like July 4th is how we celebrate that. Um, maybe there are like ways that we celebrate that in 2023 that like the founders wouldn't have thought of. You know, maybe we do it online in different ways, but we also do it in the old ways. Um, and we kind of leave all of this June. We, we need to somehow sidestep all of the Juneteenth discourse, lest we get entangled in kind of a reactive form of politics. I, th- I guess that's the the log line of what I'm saying. Well, this is a perfect segue because a I knew exactly where you were going with that, Spencer, because you said it in the on the American Mind podcast like three years ago, and I've latched onto it ever since. Uh-huh. This trick that the left pulls, where they they attach like very very common you take a you take a principle that's very ubiquitous it's tautologically true you know black lives matter and then you attach it to something that's very unsavory and then you hinge it to the idea that in order for you to be in polite society you have to affirm black lives matter you have to affirm juneteenth and in so doing you are therefore affirming the underlying realities that black people are oppressed 
you know, defund the police and all that. The other semantic point, overload. Yeah. Makes sense. Yes. The other point is that we do it. You know, I, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at, at the Wikipedia article for Juneteenth right here. And I mean, first of all, it was in the platinum plan in 2020, which was something you can knock Trump for, obviously. But um, and forgive me, because uh, I'm going to have a moment of indignation here. <laughs> the Senate unanimously passed huh. the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, and it passed in the House of Representatives 415 to 14. Holy crap. I hate the Republican Party. <laughs> I mean, like this is because it's something that like you say, Spencer, it's a really great trick and we fall for it every time. <laughs> oh my gosh it's it's lucy with the football it really is it's like yeah, it's 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 all like we literally there's I, I i can only imagine who the 14 are but like unanimously in the senate mm-hmm. and when you think about like you know there are supposedly like base conservative champions like ted cruz and josh hawley who were in the senate at the time and passed unanimously yeah like, yeah yeah I, well to to spencer's point you know there could be people you know taking the quantum pill who are trying to affirm that you know all men are created equal who still vote for it not because of you know the uh the cynicism that's being pushed by the left but because they do see that there is a positive way to celebrate the holiday not not i don't think they're really i don't i think it's a thoroughly toxic uh public holiday to have but i that that is could be one explanation yeah, I think it has become impossible to celebrate. I think before they made this ordinance, it was possible to celebrate Juneteenth right. in a healthy American way. And I think it totally. then immediately became impossible, which right. is another effect, an intended effect of these sorts yeah. of gambits. Um, I, yeah, it's funny, John. I think that piece was about Juneteenth. Actually, it was. It was. I think it was White Boy Juneteenth, one of my favorite <laughs> headlines <laughs> I've ever uh, written back in the days of the American Mind Substack. That was like, look, the real. The the real summer of 2020, like that to bring us all together is is white boy summer, not because you have to be white to celebrate it, not because you have to be a boy, but because there's this like antic post COVID vibe in the air. I guess it was 2021 or something of like, look, you know, drape yourself in the American flag, chug a bottle of mayonnaise and like grill oh in the God. backyard with your friends, you know, like, like there's <laughs> something there was just something in those in the vibes. And this is like conservatives classically bad at reading vibes or being cool or doing all those things like you know i i i I understand that but it does it does seem as if like we need a little bit of our own joy to answer the air sats joy that is always on offer among the woke right there's always like this kind of carnival-esque party that's supposed to be happening and if you actually go over there it's actually closer to like Hieronymus Bosch's Carnival of Earthly Delights. You know, it's it's like a kind of hell hellscape of of nightmare uh, fuel. But like, they're offering a vision of the good life. You know, and I I you know I've I've enjoyed how on the right recently we've like resurfaced a lot of 1950s posters and a lot of kind of like Rockwell esque Americana, and I think that stuff is all really great. But I also think that. You know, you you want like the pit viper wearing like right wing bro. You know, you want the kind of 2023 like the chaos agent unabashed, very online and like the yeah. And and even yes, like multiracial, like, you know, the, the Arab Chad joining hands with the Catholic Chad. You know, I think like that's a big part of what's what it you know we were touching on this reconsideration earlier but it's like you know it was a terrible mistake to frame the great civilizational divide the great class or civilizations as one between christendom and islam i.e within the abrahamic brotherhood as opposed to um, you know or among the abrahamic faiths rather than between monotheists abrahamic monotheists and the rest of the world i mean i'm not saying we should all convert to islam but i i do feel like there's like a certain um uh, there's a certain kind of like urgency to the moment that would require a little bit less preciousness about some of our old like battle lines and a little bit more just kind of like hey man come with me if you want to live like that's a great matt peterson line like get on board you know and to that point you know it's prior to the um 
early tw- uh, 21st century um, shenanigans, yeah. is Muslims are pretty reliable Republican voters. Right. And they, they're objectively just, they have conservative social values. Right. And the fact that it's taken this long for those to reassert themselves or for those values to kind of politically reassert themselves is it's kind of fascinating. It just took, you know, their kids being explicitly groomed for that to happen. It's kind of interesting. That and like the fading away of the like yeah. towelhead kind of, That's you know, true. because yeah. there was like a big less moment. cultural hostility. Yeah. 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 Which is understandable. And like, I don't know that if you could play the tape back, you could do that moment much differently. Um, maybe you could i don't know i wasn't i was sort of not of majority at that point but like um be that as it may it's understandable to be i mean i think there's a lot of these groups that that's kind of like understandable to be among them and the left is constantly telling you republicans hate you and republicans are are kind of like bumbling along struggling to like i mean who besides donald trump for all that we may say that is good or bad about him who besides donald trump like goes into black neighbors speaks directly to like black people and says, we're your friends. The left isn't your friends. You know, like there's there's like a certain it's not so much a racial politics as just like, a, you know, we've given up certain demographics kind of for yeah. as, as like blue seat of the ground. Yeah. 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 If I recall, the, if I forget- so a lot of times, you know, it, it, they do the same well, things that Democrats do with, you know, they run black candidates in black districts. And well, even then, like it's even if they have like the audacity to, pa- to pander, it's seldom even pandering. It's just forfeiting the ground because pandering, you at least make a like, try. Like, no, because right? like the one, no, like the one, the, the example that sticks out to me is, is still California 13 with John Duarte because his name is the guy's last name's Duarte. But I mean, you know, if you've, for those of you uh, listening at home, <laughs> if you haven't followed the whole saga of what happened in California 13 last year, John Duarte is a local farmer who was, um, he was a farmer in the Central Valley in California, and he ran as a Republican against the sort of, I guess you could say, dissident right-wing, online right-wing-backed candidate, David Gilio. And a lot of, John Duarte was deeply, deeply unpopular with the Hispanic community in the Central Valley, which makes up like a quarter of that district. And mm-hmm. like the Hispanics didn't want to vote for the Democrat. But they really didn't want to vote for the Republican because the guy who had apparently said on tape that, like, he's going to get the Mexicans to vote for him because he gave them jobs. because He's a farmer. Like, what? Mm. You know, and he did win, but he won on the backs of old white people voting by mail. So, you know, like the Republicans do, you know, there's I mean, there's other examples. There's, you know. Kim Klasik, you know, some of these like yeah, super yeah. grifty candidates in in major cities. You know, like the Republican Party doesn't know how to actually authentically communicate with with voters, which is just tell it like it is, Mm. you know. Well, this is the positive side of the quantum pill, right, is that you it, it is no longer, I hope, as necessary to pander in racially coded ways to win some racial demographics. I mean, the big data point we have here is Ron DeSantis in Florida in 2022, where you've got an agenda that is expressly cultural, that does involve lawfare of a certain kind, but that is not, you know, yo voy a votar por Donald Trump. Like, it's it's not like... <laughs> oh, that was great. I love that one. Dude, no. I still get that stuck in my head all the time. And yet, like... It's it speaks simply to the fact that like one half of our available political options has become like war against normalcy and nature, kind of as Sam adumbrated when you were talking about what what does Juneteenth stand for? It stands for like we hate all of these like things that basically everybody likes and can like flourish with like if you actually let people into like you know normal family life 99% of them are going to do great and be happy and black people are the same way you poll black people on like all of these issues they're pretty conservative about them um the you know the the left sort of has successfully presented the right as the like the new jim crow or whatever and like used a kind of mixture of 
handouts and calumny to persuade them otherwise. But like their actual issues are pretty conservative. Similarly, Hispanics very much this way. And the rubber is increasingly meeting the road to the extent that like your vote really does make the difference between like Susie in a locker room with a bearded like weirdo and not that. And like, let's do something besides that, you know? Um, and I, I do think that there's like something to the all Republicans have to do is not be crazy or stupid and they can win. But those are two very big hurdles for the Republican Party, as you indicated, John, like that we're very eager to like either make total like cringe displays of apology and self-immolation or um, just like kind of spin off into these useless detente and tete-a-tetes with the increasingly radical left. And all you have to do is just say, this is where woke goes to die. Turns out, right? Like we all hate this. Let's all just do something else. So that. So there was a pretty, there's a persistent complaint per the 2022 midterms. Uh, rather regarding the 2022 midterms that, you know, a reason why we there was a red trickle, not a red wave was because of candidate quality. Yeah. Um, do you think that's an example of, you know, picking, you know, crazy candidates who got involved in these little squabbles? Or do you think that's a separate issue? Because I do think that could be the case in some of these races, but overwhelmingly- this is a debate I, we've had on the show too. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think it's- I think it's a little of column A, a little of column B, column A being the personalities a bit and column B being just the seemingly permanently changed nature of the American political landscape, yeah. because there's a pretty seemingly insurmountable obstacle with like the 24, seven, three, six, five, get out the vote, vote by mail regime. Yeah. And regardless of candidate quality, you could have the most perfect candidate in the world on the right in every single race around the country. But if you don't have an equivalent funding um, apparatus, an equivalent um, you know, ballot harvesting apparatus, that probably won't even work the same for Republican voting demographics anyways. Well, look, Republicans I mean, are kind of disadvantaged. Yeah. Like as we at, at time of taping, John Fetterman is an elected official in the United States of America. Like cousin it occupies a, a, like a seriously high elected position in, in this country. And so I think that's that alone speaks to your point that it's about more than candidate quality right. like if if our only problem were we weren't sending our best then like neither are they so whatever like politicians suck ours especially suck we are at the end of an era therefore ours are all old and they have bad ideas like outdated bad ideas um but like look the endless mail-in voting the zuckbuck Mm -hmm. the constant extension of deadlines the pausing of counting in the middle right. like the the all of this much of it engineered uh, directly during covid is a serious if you like structural obstacle like uh, the hemingways are really the heroes on this research you know mark and molly hemingway write incredibly about this and they have receipts so um does hans von spivak i think i was saying it name right like this has been detailed and in some corners there have been efforts to kind of roll it back um you know we've always there have always been like going back to tammany hall there have always right. been kind of corrupt machines and usually what that meant is you had to build in a little extra margin like you had to win sort of extra hard it it, it was you have to beat the not, exactly it didn't amount to a kind of foregone conclusion um and to be I, fair, yeah. sorry to interject, but to be fair, like, uh, um, what's the rule? Um, secretaries of state across the country are being incredibly proactive yes. to try and get ahead of that. Like they're they're taking states off the Eric rules. They're working to outlaw Zuckbucks and private money in elections, or not private money in elections, but restrict the role of like uh, NGOs and like Zuckbucks in uh, state elections and city elections. So the Republicans are being proactive in that regard. Yep. Yep. Um, here is the last thing that I will say about this. It's going to be a, a little spice bomb and you can respond to what, what you think. I mean, I, um, I, I don't think you can discount the Trump of it all in 2022. Um, it, it's not an exhaustive explanation. 
there's plenty of stuff that is more important, like what the election interference we've been talking about. Um, and I'm going to qualify this very specifically. I, I don't think that Donald Trump per se is kind of like unelectable forever, poison to the world. Nobody will ever vote for him again. I think the, I think grievance Trump, the like I lost in the election or I didn't lose in the election was stolen from me. Trump is like a real exercise in loserdom. I think it's just totally unappealing. It's unappealing to me as somebody who will vote for a Republican potato in 2024. Like if they, if they nominate a banana that is not Joe Biden, I will vote for the banana. It, but I still find this like really off-putting. It, 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 it's sort of like all of the worst of Trump without any of the best. Like it, he was always an egotist, but he used to be an egotist sort of like in order because he, he wanted to fix things. He wanted you to love him because he fixed things and like, okay, I'll take that, you know? Um, now it, it, sometimes when he veers off into this truth, social stuff, it feels like this actually is a wet blanket. This is dead air in the room because I don't want to talk about 2020 anymore. I like, I, I want to learn from 2020 and, and win. Um, so I think there was some of that in like, it was like holding some of these candidates back or even like the candidates that we chose were sort of too far on that side. Maybe. John, do you want to respond first? You're right. In 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 a lot of ways, you're right. The the whole the rehashing the 2020 stuff got really old really fast. Um, I, I don't think it held down the Republicans in the in the election in the general election as much as just the just absolute incompetence of the Republican Party did. Mm. You know, because Trump ran ahead of. You know, Trump won a couple of those counties in the Rio Grande Valley that, you know, like Myra Flores and uh, Monica De La Cruz. I forget which one. Myra Flores lost that. She won the special election, then lost the general election because of, you know, and it was redistricted, if I recall correctly. What? I think her district got reshaped, if I recall correctly. Something I, I don't remember, but yeah, something like that. Or she got moved into another district, but like it was crossover either way. Um Myra Flores got bounced out and, you know, those are, those are people who, again, aren't necessarily going to vote for people because they have the right last name, you know, but those are, those Rio Grande Valley uh, counties are the places that, that Trump was really making inroads in 2020. You know, there are places, there are, there are more places and more stories like that. So I, it wasn't, it wasn't all Trump, you know. I th I think most most of what happened in 2022 is just that the Republican Party was was dead set on not winning, as usual. Um, um I don't agree that the GOP wasn't. Uh, rather, I agree and I disagree. Uh, I think it depends on the race. Um, I think there are specific races that Trump's involvement cost the race uh and so a lot of his endorsements were based upon loyalty to donald trump um and i uh very much respect loyalty in politics i think that i think loyalty in general is one of the most important things in life um but doug mastriano for instance was a terrible horrible candidate in pennsylvania mm, nope gotta push back on that gotta no i have no because no 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 no, no. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta push back on that one and I mean, uh uh, I, I, okay, that's we can get into that later, but that's that's yeah. as the point I'm making is that he dragged down the Senate candidate and everyone else had on the ticket. But that we can get into the semant or the the we can get into Doug Mastriano later. That's besides the point. Um, and then you have issues like in Michigan with Gretchen Whitmer, who was helped significantly by an abortion referendum on the ballot. And then there are a bunch of a whole host of issues in places like Arizona. There was Dan Bodock in New Hampshire, if I recall correctly. Um, that Trump got in a personal beef with, and that very likely cost him that election. Um, and then you have a host of people who are just kooky personalities who posted memes on their official campaign pages. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I, I think a good amount of those races, Trump's personality kind of um, came out in more ways than it should have. Because if it was solely just an election, a referendum on Joe Biden and the Democrat state of affairs, 
or the, rather the Democratic Party's state of affairs in the old order where it's go on election day, one person, one vote on election day, I think we would have crushed. I think it would have been a red tsunami. But I can't get past the sinking feeling that in the new regime of 24-7-365 mail-in voting, I think there's a pretty high bar to clear that whether or not Trump is involved, it could have been you know Ronald Reagan or George Washington stumping. I think that I think it still would have been a red trickle and not a red wave. Do you think that goes for the 2024 election too? If it were to be held today, I think it would. But to be fair, the RNC is wake did wake up a couple several months ago to the fact they need to get need to get on that. So yeah. they're raising money and strategizing on that. Both the leading candidates, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis in the Republican primary, have talked about doing ballot harvesting, have talked about the need to leverage mail-in voting. Yeah. The big question in that case is the money and the manpower. Who's going to knock doors? How do we go to rural Ohio and rural Montana? And who's going to pay for gas? Who's going to get the elderly voters in those areas to actually fill out their vote ballots, like well, I mean, not fill out their ballots, but like actually who's going to go get those ballots? Whereas in like um, you know, Philadelphia or Atlanta, Georgia, it's far easier with drop boxes and things of that nature. Mm. There's a lot more land in between a house in rural Montana and a house between the two houses in rural Montana than there is on in a floors, uh, space between floors in an apartment building in Atlanta. So the logistics are just entirely different for the GOP. But they're waking up to it. And there's a lot of smart people in the party, to be fair. There are a lot yeah. of smart people there. It's just they have a time crunch to figure it out. So and this quantum is your field. reminder. If you are a Republican voter listening to this, yeah. go out, volunteer, ballot harvest, wherever. Whatever you if you can't legally ballot harvest in your state, go out to your churches, go recruit, go go swing the votes. Cheat, darn it. <laughs> Disavow. This is a hard disavow. Don't cheat. Hard disavow. Don't cheat. But <laughs> no. a bit of the quantum pill here is, yeah. you know, we're not going to know until it's measured. So I think there is a reason to be optimistic, perhaps, in the fact that now that we know that we need to do this and the left is going to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a brass knuckle fight to the finish. So start doing it. Every They're time right. They're right. Don't actually it. cheat, though. <laughs> yeah, don't cheat. Every time you use the quantum pill meme, it's like that uh, thing where I, I stand in front of the map of the U.S. Like my power <laughs> only increases. Yeah. Um, but no, I, that's a perfect application of the sort of thing I'm talking about. And to your point about distractions, it's like those questions, those logistical questions. How do we get this movement on the how do we get boots on the ground, if you like, um, are much better answered if you are not simultaneously litigating inane squabbles between trump and his like 10 different ex cabinet members you know like right. those sorts of things don't help um and, and i guess like there is certainly something to be said for i mean i like your point about loyalty like i think loyalty is certainly a virtue and there's even such a thing as loyalty that will for instance keep you from publicly criticizing somebody at least until you have severely censured him or her in private until you want to like write a new york times bestseller that throws them under the bus type of thing. course right yeah you gotta save or run for stuff, president you know? yourself right right or run for president or get a sinecure or just you know you gotta save the dirt that you have on your friends for real payoff otherwise what's the point um but no like the um the thing where the content there's there's some phenomenon where the content of the discussion becomes exclusively limited to Donald Trump rather than Donald Trump's views on X or what Donald Trump did about Y. And that is this kind of weird cult that I think is is kind of holding us back. I mean, I'm in no way. I mean, I think the, the memory of it all is sort of interesting because I'm a big meme fan. I see that a lot of it can be off-putting all of this kind of online talk can be off-putting to normies and normies run the country still so that's important um there's also something to be said for like okay so desantis made his announcement on twitter spaces it crashed there were all sorts of foreseeable problems many things seem to have gone wrong that one might hope a crack team could have you know headed off at the pass and yet 
like making an announcement on Twitter spaces in collab with the CEO, who's one of the now weirdly one of the world's like foremost advocates for free speech is like very uh, insightful. I think, I think it's insightful about how these sorts of things are going to happen. It at least looks to me like the shape of an actual, you know, 21st century America. Um, and similarly, you know, okay, so we need ultimately to roll back the mail-in voting and the Zuckbox and the whatever. But as you're saying, Sam, like in the meantime, don't create a situation where like your elderly Republican voters feel like they would rather not vote than vote by mail. You know, like don't do that, which I think there was some of that in 2022 where it was like this stuff is even it's the spawn of the devil. It's like, you know, you'll be tainted if you even touch it. And like the message should have been, you know, th these are appalling measures and they're unfair and that's why you have to like flood the field with your mail-in votes you know like that's why you have right. to vote every possible way they'll let you anyway all of this is like strategery but I, I i guess we're honing in to for me in a satisfying way on like what what bad trump looks like in this moment and what good for Trump sure. might look like I, I totally agree you know being from southwest ohio when trump was they're not after me they're after you i'm just in the way that resonated yes. with basically everybody i knew because yes. they felt that in their very soul so yeah. it's you know people who have felt their entire lives like the regime is just punching down that was very much it still is happening um but when trump is now you have to get in the way for me and get me mm -hmm. back in power that is that sours people it's we have no power you were supposed to help us get some control over the republic right right i mean it's yeah. the same thing in 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 my area in in the post-industrial part of of south jersey and in the rural parts of south jersey it's a lot of the same sentiment yeah yeah well i'm a contemptible coastal elite so i can't really <laughs> speak to my uh homegrown roots but um i i think that is his best line or the best line about him and it's why his indictment is like it puts him in his like the shows him in his absolute best light like just that's the spot he totally ought to be in is like facing charges from the highest right. you know officers of justice in the state um because yeah like loyalty is a good thing if you personally are pals and collaborators with Donald Trump like as individuals our loyalties are to our families our friends our you know and so for a politician to kind of flip that around and then demand sort of your loyalty that is a little bit it's a bit of a perversion yeah, yeah exactly exactly hmm oh do you guys think yeah. they've got him on this uh, oh you guys hear, did you guys hear my dad calling me for dinner all right so for the last like fifth of the show okay uh we are we have to talk about your 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 thing spencer because you are you are author of book oh yes i and you books. also need to explain yourself because as we are or just before we went on recording you have an announcement or had an announcement oh that's true i did didn't I? and i'm sure by the time we by the time we publish this it will be a thing it will it certainly will um so yes uh Let's do I, book first. Okay. I has book. I am right book. Um, it's called How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. It is available wherever books, wherever, wherever fine books are sold. And the best thing I can say about it is that it is an invitation into a tradition that can stand you in better stead than the World Economic Forum and CNN. It is five sections, each covering one, what I take to be one of our major fundamental philosophical crises, the crisis, for instance, over whether there is any such thing as absolute truth, over whether the human person has any purpose in, in the world. What, what is a human being in 2023? Um, and each of these five crises, I sort of lay out and try to identify some of the core fundamental philosophical issues that are at stake underneath the news cycle. And then I offer what I take to be some resources from the longer Western tradition of thinking about these things, going back to Athens and Jerusalem, the kind of twin sources of our greatest wisdom. 
Um, this is the stuff that I grew up loving. It's the stuff that I spent my whole career kind of offering. And um, as part of my, you know, as, as I sort of started to offer that to the world, it occurred to me that a lot of people don't realize that we are not alone. They, they think that like dusty old books are kind of worship objects for nerds or maybe they're hate objects for white supremacists or like Aristotle is dead and white. So who cares? Also, the scientific revolution, didn't that answer all the questions? Um, and so all of these attitudes, which are common in the world, are to me not only deeply misguided, but also incredibly um they they reduce the size of your world. They deprive you of your greatest birthright, which is the Western tradition. Um, you can crack open these books and and have saner, better, clearer things in your head about what you are, where we're going, what your purpose is, um, than is available in most of our news cycle elsewhere. And so the book is an introduction, an invitation into that conversation. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, what is the announcement? No, I'm curious. Oh, the I'm announcement familiar. is, okay, so I have a podcast. The podcast is called Young Heretics. Um, it is a weekly introduction to the great works of the West. As previously indicated, I think those are the kind of uh, most important things in our intellectual landscape. They are our heritage. They are our mainstay. And um, one of the most fun things about my career has been the opportunity to kick up this podcast and just kind of make contact with people that are hungry for this stuff. Um, I am working on a kind of expansion pack version of this for The Daily Wire. And when I started doing that, I stopped producing new episodes of Young Heretics on the main feed so that I could focus on getting that thing ready. It's now in the works. We filmed a bunch of seasons of it um, and we're editing it. But it's not going to come out for a little bit. And so I thought a cool thing to do in the meantime would be to relaunch Young Heretics. So starting tomorrow, as of this taping, we'll be doing new episodes every week. The first is going to be a series of episodes on what is virtue? What is virtue as a major concept? But what are the virtues and what would it look like to put them into practice? So first episode is just about what is virtue more generally. And then it's going to go into the cardinal virtues, uh, the four cardinal virtues, the three Christian virtues, and... Um, a whole bunch of stuff on like ancient and modern applications of that. And John, you will be happy to know that the first episode back includes a reference to the 1977 documentary in which Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about how good the pump feels. How is your pump? Yeah, yes. the pump. Yes, the pump. pump. I'm in heaven. So imagine, <laughs> imagine I'm in heaven all the time. Every rep, it feels like. Anyway, um, you'll have to tune in to find out why that is in any way related to the Aristotelian theory of virtue ethics and I the, am super I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm excited about it too. Uh young hair. Yeah, because I've started believe it or not, I've started I've I'm re-going through your old your old catalog because oh man uh, on my way to the gym, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. I'm very touched. But now you'll have so new stuff. So I'm super excited. Excellent. There's gonna be more stuff, uh more and better, higher up and deeper in, as they say. So this and the Daily Wire version of it are both in the works, but most immediately this uh the the wherever you previously were getting young heretics on spotify or apple podcasts or whatever that's that's where it'll be awesome well, it's fantastic looking forward to it Rock on. yes thanks guys if you ever want to do a lovecraft episode i'll be more than happy to help with that one hey which a what episode a lovecraft episode lovecraft oh interesting um a lot of virtue in lovecraft oh yeah there's not <laughs> in negative image it's like the simpsons it shows us a negative image of what of what virtue is all well, right Mr. Spencer, Dr. Clavin, where can people find you? Boy, uh, you are just helping me plug my stuff all over the place today. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's um, for my sins. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Spencer Clavin. Um, and most of the links that you need to find this other stuff are are there. Um, I would be remiss not to say that much of what I have said to you today and we have spoken up together um, owes a serious debt of gratitude to the Claremont Institute. The a lot of my thinking, especially about politics, is influenced by my colleagues there. And we put out two publications: the Claremont Review of Books and the American Mind. I write in both of them, but so do many other people who are much smarter than me. And you can find all of that goodness at ClaremontReviewBooks.com and AmericanMind.org. Plus, you can get my book wherever books are sold. Oh, and I keep feeling like I should say this. 
I did read the audiobook. So if you're listening to this podcast and you like podcasts and you like listening to things, you can also get it on Audible, read by me. Very good. That's also how we know Spencer is through Claremont. Yes, true. Because are you guys both alums? I know, I, I know, yes, Don, you both are alums from 2022. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, you were there too. Okay. Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Anytime. This was lots of fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to like and subscribe to Heavyweights Podcast on both YouTube and Rumble. Follow us on Twitter at Heavyweights76. And the show is available for download on all major platforms as well. Hope to see you soon. Mm-hmm.